Hey friends, Pastor Marco here. First of all, thank you for listening to the weekly podcast. I want to um, encourage you to do something. If you listen to us from a different state or a different country and you love the church and you want to be more connected to it, we are now opening it up for people to host new life communities from where they are. And if you're interested in being one of those people that can uh, host a watch party of our services where you can invite your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors or whatnot to come and be a part of it, uh, email us at info at newlifesouthcoast.com because we want to be able to have pockets of new life communities all over the nation and all over the world. So if you're interested, get back to us. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Also, if you're closer and you can be in the physical building, our services now are at 9.15 and 11 a.m at our New Bedford location and 11 a.m. at our Forever location. The best way to stay connected is by downloading our church app. Go to the browser um, and just type in New Life South Coast and our app will pop up on Apple or whatever else that you use for you to stay connected. I pray that today's message as usual will encourage you, challenge you, and, and bless your walk with the Lord. If you have your Bibles, our Bible reading is going to come from the book of Romans, chapter 1 today. And we're going to continue to explore what it means to have a Christian worldview. Because this thing that we do called Christianity was never meant to be this Sunday thing. If we reduce it to just a Sunday thing, we are missing 99.999999% of God's will. God's will is for his entire plan to infiltrate every area of your life in every area of society. God never intended to start a religion. Men did that. God intended to have a relationship with humanity. And unfortunately, over the years, we've diluted it to this sideshow that we do on the weekends. But that's not really what God had in mind. God wanted to restore humanity back to him, back to his heart. And God wants to use people like you and I on his plan of salvation, which blows my mind. It's like, who want to trust us with the plan of salvation? <laughs> but God does. Somehow he's like, I want to trust you, Uncle Leds, with my plan. Um, so we better play along. Can you say amen? But if you look at this Christianity as a worldview, there's really three parts to it, but there's like subparts to, to it, is that number one is creation. That's why we want to do the song today, So Will I, because creation gets the ball rolling, that God created the universe, God created people with a purpose in mind. And then, unfortunately, the second part of it is the fall, that, that unfortunately, we, we jacked it up by allowing sin to enter our lives in the world. And since then, God is trying to bring us to the third point, which is redemption. God is trying to redeem the whole thing. And God has been doing it since the beginning. He's got this purpose and his plan to bring redemption and restoration to humanity. So what I want to do today is talk a little bit about the first part of this, creation. And you're going to have to use your, your, your brain a little bit today. It's not going to fall in your lap, so I'm going to need you to really lean in. Tell your neighbor, don't distract me, because I need to lean in. I need to, I need to focus. And I highly encourage you to maybe take some notes so you can digest some of this stuff during the week. See, my challenge is, here's my, here's my challenge of preaching. There's so much I want to share. So every week, when, I, when I'm getting like to the end of the message, Friday and Saturday, the biggest struggle is what to take out. Because there's so much, right? And we're forced to do all this research, hours of research, and then we have 40 minutes to unpack it all. Right? It's not easy. 
So it's impossible to cover every single thing. That's why you have to take responsibility during the week and say, God, I want to go deeper. And we have a library here so you can buy books to go deeper with the Lord. Like that book I mentioned on Asha We Live is available, right? And you have to have a desire to want to know the Lord because believe me, there's so much I believe God is trying to reveal to us, but we have not a lot of time. So the preacher usually has, you know, 30, 35 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour sometimes uh, to try to pack all of this stuff. So pray for me because that's the hardest part is to cut away the stuff. There's so much here. So I'm going to do my best to give you this content, but you're going to have to want to do some work yourself. So Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 16, it's going to be our focus today. And it says this in Romans 1, 16. It says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Can you say amen? Here's what's interesting about the Bible and the Bible writers. They're not trying to convince you that God is real. That's not where they come from. The Bible was never meant to be this document that proves to you that God is real. Because they actually come from the perspective that you should know that God's real. They come from the perspective that, like, of course God is real, right? So they're not trying to convince you that God is real. They're coming from the perspective that, wait, don't you know that already? <laughs> that God is real? The whole thing starts with Genesis 1-1 that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, God this supreme being that lives outside of the universe, outside of time, decided to get the ball rolling by creating everything that we have today, all of the universe. And the, the truth is, we're still finding galaxies. We're still discovering planets. There's still so much more than we don't know. And this will blow your mind, but you know, research shows that we only know about 2% of the universe. You know, 98% of the universe is black hole. You wonder why you're confused some days. <laughs> the Bible writers are more concerned with getting you to trust God than to believe that he's real. They're trying so much to convince you to trust him by faith than they're trying to convince you that you need to believe that he's real. There's only a couple of mentions of what we call the naturalistic worldview in the Bible. Only a couple of them, and what we just read is one of them. Here, the Apostle Paul says, how can you look at all the evidence and still not believe? You're making the choice not to believe 
that there is a God, right? And then the other mention of it is in Psalms 14, where the psalmist says this. He says, only fools say in their hearts, there's no God. Now, before you think God is trying to offend people who don't believe in him, the word fool there means that, man, how can you look at all of the evidence and still go, nah. That makes you a fool, the Bible says. Like, there's evidence all around you, there's evidence within you that points to a designer, a creator, an architect of life, and you're still going, nah. So there's only a couple of mentions because he's not trying to convince you that God is real. Because here's the thing, if you're taking notes, belief is a choice. You either choose to believe or you choose not to believe. That's the beauty of how you were created. You were created with this thing called free will where you can exercise it to believe or you can exercise it not to believe. And the reality is everybody in the world has faith. Faith is a universal reality. The question is, what do you put your faith in? In other words, faith is the word trust. What do you put your trust in is the reality of your free will. Every human being has faith in something or someone. That's just a a reality of life, right? That God, again, is saying, like, I created you to pursue me and to come after me, but I also created you with the ability to reject that and pursue something else or someone else. That is the beauty of free will. None of of us is going to be forced to believe in God, and God is not even trying to make you believe in him. You know, it's interesting, lately, there's a lot of talk about science. And science is real. Science is a, is a field of study that to me, it doesn't conflict faith at all. Matter of fact, to me, science gives me more of a boost of faith than it comes against faith. Right? That's the truth about science. It's a field of study of everything that we have that we call life. Right? Now, here's where we're going to go a little bit deeper. I need you to lean in a little bit here. The problem is not science. The problem is when we make science a philosophy of life. What do I mean by that? Well, the truth is, everyone who does science does science from a certain worldview. No one does science from a place of neutrality. Everybody does science from a place of worldview. Matter of fact, every field of study, no matter who is studying it, they're going to come from a certain angle. Now, let me go a little bit deeper. Do you have a favorite TV show? If you have a favorite TV show, you have to understand that your TV show has writers and producers, and those writers and producers have a certain worldview that you're trying to get across through the TV show. Do you have a favorite movie? Well, every movie has writers and producers who have a certain worldview that they're trying to present you through this movie? Do you have favorite songs? Every song, if you pay attention to it, there's a worldview attached to it. No one is coming from a place of neutrality. Even the people who say, I'm just telling you the truth. You are, you're telling me the truth from your salentist standpoint. Are you tracking with me? So the problem is not science, my friend. The problem is not science at all. I think science complements faith. The problem is you got to ask the question, who is behind the science? Think about it, right? Let let me give you an example of what's happening right now. With COVID, they say trust the data, right? But you got to ask the question, who is behind the data? 
Because I don't know if you've done your homework, but I've been doing my own research. You find out that even scientists have different perspective on the data. Depending on who you're listening to. Matter of fact, there was a group of scientists who got together, who went to the Supreme Court, and, and, and they, they had their own rally saying, why won't you listen to us? You have decided to pick two or three doctors to listen to, but there's a hundreds of us who have so much to say about this pandemic. And this is not just here in America, but all over the world. There's so much data, but the question is, which data are you going to trust and who is behind the data? So you can't just take it blindly. You have to investigate and say, where is this coming from? Because here's the thing we don't want to admit. Every human being is flawed. Therefore, science could be flawed. Matter of fact, go do your own research. You see, even in the scientific field, people manipulate data to give you a certain response. You think it doesn't happen? You, you think this vaccination doesn't have competition? Speaking of vaccinations, <laughs> we can split this church right now. One of my pastor friends said something funny yesterday. He said, you know, it's funny how we're like, don't trust anything in that vaccine. But you, here you are eating McRibs at McDonald's. <laughs> so if we're going to search the data, search all the data. We're going to start reading every ingredient and everything you eat. But the thing is, we have selective hearing. It's, it's what we want to hear. The Bible even calls it itchy ears. Do you know that? The Bible says it comes a time when we just want to hear what we want to hear. So every data needs to be tested. And every test comes with motives. And the truth is, there are motives in, even in science. There's not a field of study that is not flawed. Because every field of study has humans who are flawed. Who are going to make mistakes sometimes. Who are, are going to want to add a certain thing to it. Who are looking for recognition. Who are looking for popularity. Who are looking for money. Are we not going to talk about the fact that the biggest drug dealers in America is the big pharma? That all they want is to pump medicine to make money. No one gets any type of other diagnosis anymore. Everybody's dying of COVID. When was the last time you heard someone died of natural causes lately? Right? Hey, Jimmy died in a car accident. He died of COVID. Like, that's, that, that's what is happening. Like, this is, I'm not trying to be, <laughs> I'm just telling you the facts. And then you find out for every death, there's money attached to it. All right, I'm going to leave it alone. So faith and science are not enemies, my friends. They complement each other. I believe God created science to say, go, go discover more and go discover me. The reality is behind every field, there are believers and there are non-believers. There's not a field that you won't find both. Go look it up. In NASA, there's believers and then there's non-believers. There are ones who have gone all the way to the moon and said, God is real. And then some came back and said, didn't find him. So it's all about the person and their experience and they, what they think 
could be possible. So the Bible, again, is trying to say all of it points to a creator. Now let's go a little bit deeper. Psalms 19 says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him, make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Go ahead. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. What's fascinating to me about the Bible is it was written so long ago and these guys had incredible insight into how the whole thing works. We had no experiments showing us that the sun is actually the key to us here on earth. And what's cool about the sun for me is that it's a play on words because we rely on S-U-N sun and also we rely on the S-O-N sun. Right? And we realize that, uh, uh, you know, uh, remember, science could be wrong. Remember, one time we thought, oh, the earth revolves around the sun. Or the sun revolves on the earth. Now we find out it's the other way around. In other words, we rely on the sun, just like we rely on the S-O-N sun, more than we rely on anything else. Like, there's no life without sun. So that's what the Bible is trying to say. Like, the whole energy that you get for life comes through the sun. 98% of your energy comes from the sun. To make sure that there's life on earth. Now, if we get to science, here's what, how science explains this amazing concept of design. They call this the entropic principle, right? Basically, it's the study of cosmos or the studies of the universe, right? The cosmological principle that theories of the universe are constrained, constrained by the necessity to allow human existence. They're like, man, when you study the universe, especially the earth, it's impossible to not see that there is a designer that's fine-tuned the whole thing to make sure that there's life on earth. Now, we keep discovering planets, we keep discovering galaxies, but so far, we haven't found one more place that is designed for life like this place is. That every single detail is fine. Like, I like the word, when I was researching, it says, the universe is fine-tuned for life. You ever, like, remember back in the days where you had those radios and you try to, like, find the right frequency? And it's like, just like, if you're, like, off a little bit, it's like, ah! Like, I grew up listening to sports with my grandfather, and all he did was listen to the radio 24-7, but it had to be on the right frequency. Like, if you're just off a little bit and you just can't hear it right, and the Bible is saying, and the science is showing that the whole thing is fine-tuned for life to exist. Think about it, the sun, for example, right? If the sun, they say, if the sun is just off by one mile away from the earth, it will be too cold for life to exist. If the sun is off by one mile closer to the earth, it will be too hot for life to exist. So in other words, the sun is purposely positioned where it is to make sure that there's life on earth. And there's so many different dials. Like, research blows my mind, the product of design. Did you know this? They say that in your bloodstreams right now, the same percentage of salt that's in your body is the same percentage of salt that's in the water. To the percentage. To make sure that there's life. Water. How water works. Where everything that they look for in other planets is first water. Because water is the product of life. Your body is 85% water. 
all these little fine tunes, these dials that's been put together to make sure that you see that there's a product of design. For example, a lot of us fell in love with forensic science because of shows like CSI. Like, how I many of you guys love those shows? Like, all of a sudden, you became a detective. Yeah. <laughs> like, but why? Because forensic science says, you know, follow the DNA, follow the fingerprints, right? Because you, you want to find out, was this natural causes or was this foul play? And all of a sudden, you're in your living room acting like you're a detective, and you're telling the person next to you, I know we did it. <laughs> Based on what? Well, all of a sudden, you think you know the facts, and, and, and here you are all wrong when the show's over. <laughs> Don't elbow anybody. Always wrong. And then the worst is those people that keep asking you questions all along. It's like, watch the thing. We're watching it together. So what happened today? I don't know. We're watching it together. But forensic science is another study of what? Evidence. You follow the evidence. And when you follow the evidence correctly, it leads you to a certain truth. Are you tracking with me? So they say that the universe came into existence because of this cosmic explosion that in school now we call it the, the Big Bang Theory, right? The Big Bang Theory was exciting for believers because for the longest time, scientists were saying this thing has always, always existed. But then they found out, wait, there was this, they call a singularity of process. It all started in a moment. But here's the thing, this explosion had to be just right for life to take place. And when we find out is, wait, if there was a big explosion of life, then you gotta ask the question, what caused or who caused this explosion to come into being? And this, my friends, do your homework. Scientists are still not answering that question because when you answer that question, you have to open the possibility that there is a creator, a designer, because the way this, no, no, hear me this. You never get order out of chaos. When was the last time you were like, I want to build a shed. Let me just blow it up and get a shed. Like we, think about this, right? I try to be practical. We're in a building that used to be a Shaw's. Actually, we decided it's Shaw's again so we can worship freely. <laughs> Shaw's Worship Center. That's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> but think about this, right? This place was a supermarket. And we had to go through the process of making this a house of worship. So how do we do it? Well, we did it because when we got the place, I, number one meeting that I had was with an architect. And he asked me, what is your vision for the place. And so we sat down for a couple of hours and I went over what I envisioned this place to look like, but he's the architect with the ability and the expertise to be able to take my vision for what this place could be and put it on paper and make sure that it aligns with all the construction and aligns with all of the permits and aligns with all the engineering that has to go into creating a place like this. So it would have been nice to just show up here and go, let there be a church. Right? Like nobody comes across something and say, oh, that thing just showed up. Which, by the way, science says that if the explosion was just like the sun, if it was a millisecond to the right or a millisecond to the left, the whole thing would have imploded. There would be no life. And that takes us to high school. Remember 10th grade, the laws of thermodynamics? 
Like back in those days to me, there was no excitement there, but now I see the excitement because the first law says that in order to have life, you have to have energy, but you can't create energy. So in that singularity, there had to be matter, there had to be energy, there had to be time, there had to be space for, for this thing to unfold. And you gotta ask the question, who is behind the scenes, orchestrating and making sure that it goes according to plan. But since then, we haven't been able. They try to recreate life, but they haven't been able to. Are you tracking with me so far? Now, the second law of thermodynamics is also interesting because it says that it's expanding. The whole thing is expanding, which tells you, like, if there has a beginning, it's going to have an end. And we don't know when that is. There's a lot of speculations. If you look at science, there's many numbers when it comes to where the universe is going. But when I read... The other book, it says, actually, it's going somewhere because he wants to create a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no sin, there will be no mar, there will be no thing that has stained what he has created in the first place. So, my friends, the Bible says there's no excuse for not believing in a creator. Actually, the word he uses there, if you pay attention to the reading, it says, we know the truth, but we suppress it. Now, let's go a little deep. The reason why we like to suppress the truth, again, do your homework. Scientists have said there was a big bang, there was a singularity moment, but an atheist scientist said this. He said, if we start to say that there was someone behind the scenes, we open up the possibility for a God. You ever heard of the God particle? So in other words, why do we suppress the truth? Because we don't want the truth. And why don't we want the truth? Because if there is a God, then I'm accountable to that God. And a lot of times, I don't want to be accountable to anybody. I want to do my thing, and then I don't want to answer to no one. We don't, want, we don't want to tell the truth, but that's the reality. A lot of times, people want to stiff-arm God because they know they have to be accountable to a God that created all things. And if he created all things, you're going to be accountable. Because he says here that his eternal power and divine nature is revealed. Now, that doesn't mean nature reveals everything about God, but it is it, a start to understand why you're here. That if there's a creator, there's got to be a purpose to why we're here in the first place, right? So, how about your body? Your body's fascinating. Even you are like, man, I don't feel fascinated. Um, <laughs> and we go right here. I don't feel fascinated. But your body is incredible. Like, your body is a machine that is always working on your behalf. That's why you sometimes you're so tired. Your body's like, man, I need to put you to sleep so I can work on you. Do you know that? When you go to sleep, your body goes to work like over time. The body's like, man, get this knucklehead to sleep so we can like rearrange some things, heal some things, restore some things. Do you know that every, like this is crazy, but every nine years, though, you're like a new person. Every cell in your body has been transformed and restored and old ones have died, new ones have come. That's why every nine years you're like, I don't remember anything. Your body's fascinating. Look, let me go a little bit deeper with your body. Which, before I do, if there are any kids in the room or watching online, parents, I don't want to be the guy to tell your kids about the birds and the bees. So give me two minutes, maybe block their ears, put the headphones on. <laughs> so I don't want to be that guy. But I want to share some things with you that are fascinating. But before I do that, look what the Bible says about you. Okay, Psalm 139 says this. Look, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. 
thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now, let me stop there because I think us guys were made wonderful. You ladies were made complex. Let's just put that out there for a second. Right? Because we're too dumb to be complex. And you guys are too wonderful not to be complex. Okay. Uh, fellas, help me, please. <laughs> help me. These guys leave me hanging up here. You know, we're like black and white. Y'all are like colors and rainbows and there's a lot going on. Honey, how was your day? It was, it was all right. How was yours? Well, let me tell you about my day. <laughs> well, you want a novel? Complex, people. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. Wait, everything says that something's wrong, though. Okay, I'll stop. Um, your workmanship is marvelous. Oh, well, I know it. Keep going. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark of the womb. It's fascinating that Bible writers believe life starts at conception. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. In other words, you're not a mistake. You're not a coincidence. Now, humans, flawed humans can say, you were a mistake. We didn't plan for you. But God's like, no, I had a plan for you all along. Like I had, I created you in your mother's womb. So you're not a mistake. So how are you going to have purpose if you don't know you're not a mistake? Now, the miracle of birth is fascinating. This is why I'm going to share with you a little bit, just to give you a little bit more perspective um, about this. But this is, this is how you got here. I'm reading from, it was too good to, to, to chop it. I have to read this thing from a book called Everything Spiritual. Check this out. Just, just, just take it in. No kids in the room? Okay, we're good. Oh, they're leaving now. Okay, all right. Speaking of your beginning... Only 20% of sperm have what's considered a decent shape. <laughs> That's a great start. Some have two heads. 90% <laughs> were dead within the first half hour. And at first, your mother's body thought your father's contribution were intruders. Her immune system went on high alert because of how foreign your father's contribution appeared and then tried to kill them with deadly acid. <laughs> Ladies, you're no joke. You've been doing this from the beginning. <laughs> to be clear, the part of you that comes from your father, your mother's body tried to exterminate in their first encounter. The complexity here is staggering. Your mother's body has systems in place to identify possible threats to our health. And these systems are extremely efficient in their ability to destroy these threats. But within these efficient systems are also capacities to identify when the first assessment was incorrect and the perceived threat was actually an emissary of new life. Having survived that near extermination, the sperm then had to travel. If your father's contribution was scaled up to the size of a human, 
it had to reach a destination 200 miles away, quickly. <laughs> right away, it had to travel through the cervix, which endless channels, which are endless channels that don't go anywhere. Like climbing a ladder several times high, only to discover that the ladder isn't leaning against anything. <laughs> At which point, it's too late to turn around and climb down. And then climb up another ladder, only to learn that one, you get the point. About 99% of sperm never get past the cervix. Then the uterus, which is like a vast open plain. At human scale, it's roughly two miles long and a half a mile wide. And the sperm needs to find one particular opening, which is about two heads wide. At this point, about one thousand sperm are dying with every heartbeat. And then the sperm meets the leukocytes for the first time. They're white blood cells that protect the mother's body by hunting foreign invaders. Watch this. They move in gangs. <laughs> and they're larger than sperm. And when these cells hunt sperm down, they decapitate them. So there's that. <laughs> and then eventually, if the sperm survives, although we're talking about you, so you did survive. <laughs> if it survives, so the sperm did survive, it arrived at the fallopian tubes, where to gain entry, it had to display what can be best described as proper swimming ability, like an audition or interview for a job. I know, I'm thinking the same thing. We're simply describing the facts of a known and verified process that happens all the time, all around the world, and has been going on for tens of thousands of years, and yet it's almost impossible not to read it at some other level. Cells, cervixes, and movement, and attrition and systems designed to protect and preserve, and then somewhere in your mother's body, there was a biological, chemical, physiological process that ass assessed your father's sperm's movements, evaluated whether it was good enough, whether it passed, whether it measured up. A bit about the egg. Your mother started with somewhere between one million and two million eggs. By the time she and your father got together, she had around 1,000. And that one egg was was going to appear for those few days in that month. We need to stop here and know for the record that her monthly egg releasing cycle was influenced like every woman everywhere since forever according to the sequential, unflappable, consistent movements of the moon. The moon. I'll type that again out of sheer admiration for the unexpected oddness of this particular relationship, the moon. To be clear, the female body has an intuitive synchronistic alignment with a rock floating in space 230,000 miles away. She's a, she's a woman, a human being, right here among us in flesh and blood, and there's also something about her that is planetary. Can we just take a moment? You, you feel this? 
This body you have, you have a body, you come from a body. A body that has a connection with celestial body hundreds of thousands of miles away. There's something universal about us. Something as big as the solar system present within us. By the way, that one sperm, your mother had to help him the rest of the way. And here you are. Now you can look at all that and go, nah. And we're only scratching the surface. There's so much more. I told you, like I have to subtract what to share and what not to share because it's just fascinating that we were put on this earth to find this creator and to worship him and to live with him for all of eternity. But the problem with humanity, my friends, is what the Bible is teaching here in Romans. The problem with us is we will replace God for something else. That's our struggle. It's been from the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, right? And he goes on to say this in Romans. He says, look, the real issue is this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Again, the word fool saying, man, look around or look within and see that you were created for more. See, my friends, when we don't worship God, we replace him with something else or somebody else. When we don't acknowledge our dependence on our creator, Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He said, we prefer the illusion that we can call the shots and decide what is right and wrong to the reality that creation speaks to us of. In other words, we have this illusion of independence, but it really is becomes codependence on other things as opposed to dependent on the creator himself. Are you tracking with me? See, instead of worshiping God, we replace him with something else. So look, he says this in verse 24. It's really powerful. He said, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles, depending on what you decide to worship. Now, here's what's powerful. Here, God says, my wrath against humans is because they suppress the truth. This is really heavy now. I hope you catch this. Go to my last verse, verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Now, why is this important? Because it's saying that when you don't worship God, God says, okay, then, do whatever you want to do. Actually, the word used here is over-desires. Like, he's saying, like, lust is over-desire. Lust is, is God saying, okay, you know what, then? Have your way. My hands are off. You can do whatever you want to do. And the worst thing that can happen to us sometimes is to get exactly what we wanted. Now, that's a word. The thing that we end up serving doesn't free us, but end up controlling us. And we always feel the need for more. It's like, let me put it this way. It's like God looking at us and saying, you know, boundaries are healthy. But we say, no. It's like the kid who says, no, I want ice cream right now and I want a lot of it. Imagine God saying, okay, then 
have all the ice cream you want. We know the outcome of that. That's what God is saying. The wrath of God is not like, like people say, how can a good, loving God send people to hell? He's like, no, no. God takes his hand off. You send yourself where you want to go. And I'm not talking about some hell after, after life. I'm talking about you can create hell on earth. God says, hey, your will be done. See, Tim Keller, I love Pastor Tim Keller. He puts it this way. He said, the tragedy of humanity is that we strive for and fail to find what we could simply receive and enjoy. We suppress the truth which would free us and satisfy us. In other words, man, the very thing that you think you want is the very thing that's going to enslave you. So God doesn't have to punish you. You punish yourself. Now that changes things. It's not the bad thing that gets us, but the lust or over-desire for good things. The wrath of God is to give us too much of what exactly what we think we want. It's letting the kids eat all the ice cream they desire. So the problem is not science. The problem is our hearts. It's trying to live outside of the one who created us in the first place. So that's why we need the gospel. That's why we have to start with verse 16 and end with verse 16. Because if not, we're doomed. We're doomed to just repeat the cycle until the gospel comes and says there's a loophole. And the loophole is God himself in the flesh who came to save us. So we end how we started. Verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Because it's a choice to believe. My friends, our only hope is the power of the gospel. Because you're going to put your faith in something or someone. And the Bible says, why don't you put your faith in the one who created the universe, who put on skin and blood and came to earth to show you how to live it, but knowing that you couldn't do it for yourself. And he went and he died for you to show you his love for you. And he does all that and he says, do you want this? Faith is the connected power to the gospel. Let me put it this way. Faith is like the light switch that connects to the power source. When you go home, you put on a light switch, it automatically sends this energy through your light, through your, through your house, connected to a power source that you don't even see. That's what faith is. When you trust him, you put it on the light switch to say, come, invade me with light and, and power and wisdom and strength. Or you can choose to live in the dark and not turn on the light switch. It's a choice. But I love that we're not just forgiven, we're made right. That's the power. The power of the gospel is to save, is to reconcile, and is to guarantee you a place in the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. It's not going to church. It's becoming the church. It's becoming the people that God created all of us to become. Now, notice he says this. I'm not ashamed of the good news, which is another word for gospel. Why does he say that? Here's the reality. 
the gospel will always offend some because it reveals a need that we cannot meet. And we're too prideful to admit we have a need. Some people will kick and scream their way through life because they're too prideful to ask for help. That's why he says, I'm not ashamed to ask and to, and to receive the power. Because let's be honest, there are people all over this country who go to church today, but they're too prideful to surrender. So they'll never see the fullness of God in their lives. We'll always be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because it makes you feel vulnerable. I'm weak. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's why the prerequisite to receive the gospel is I have to admit that I don't have what it takes. And that is the best thing that could happen to any human being. It's to surrender. It's to trust that, man, if, if that sperm made it all the way, there was a purpose. And I'm here because there's purpose. I was created with purpose. And that purpose is to know this God, is to have a relationship with him, is to walk with him, is to continue to chase after him. Because we're still finding planets and galaxies, which means like you can never get to the place that you know this God fully. And I'll be honest with you, as I end, I am bored with the arguments about trying to convince people that God's real. I find that boring. I find it more appealing to, to pursue the possibilities that have already been calling me since I was a kid. And if you pay attention, that thing has been calling you since you were a kid. That thing we call God, the spirit we call God. We don't know, you don't have words for it. You just know when you get older, you begin to realize, oh my God, everything was orchestrated. Even the bad stuff somehow was, 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 was to move you and to steer you towards him and his heart for your life. Like he's a good God. So good that he's like, hey, have it your way. Or you can have it my way. God's like Burger King. <laughs> Would you stay with me as we pray this morning? one thing to know all these stats and theories and arguments and blah 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 to be honest with you boring it's another thing to have an experience when you have a personal experience with him no one can take that away from you there's no one who will be able to fully convince you that God is real and there's no one who will be able to fully convince you that God's not real the difference is faith. It's the trust that all of the evidence in the world and in me is pointing to a creator. And that's a choice each one of us have to make. And I would be remiss if I don't give you the privilege of making that choice today. Everything that we do is to bring us here to this place of making a decision. Lord, I want to trust in you. I want to trust in your salvation. I want to trust in what you've done for me. In person, online, this is the moment. This is what separates life from death. This is what separates church going from a relationship with the Lord is when you fully surrender and say, Lord, I'm, I can't deny the evidence. It's all around me. And it's, all, it's in me. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray? And if you're here today, you're like, man, I, you're talking to me. I'm, I need to surrender. 
I've been prideful, I've been insecure, I've been fighting God, I've been stiff-arming him, but I can't deny the fact that he's calling me to him. And if that's you, I would love to pray with you in person or online. And if that's you, listen, it takes faith. It takes faith. It takes trust. So allow me to pray with you. And if you feel like this message spoke to you, just put your hand up and say, that's me. I pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone else before I pray? Don't let this moment pass you by. You are one prayer away from a relationship with the Lord. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta invite him in. You gotta use your free will to let him in. So let's pray. Pray with me. Say, God, I'm ready to surrender. I believe that you're real, that you send your son for me. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, but also empower me to live life to the fullest according to your will. Today, I'm surrendering. And I know you created me with purpose to know you, to worship you, to glorify you. So have your way in my life, but also have your way through my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.